<laughs> Welcome to Film Buddies with Tuesday and our very first guest host, Tyra. Nice. Um, the goal of this podcast is to focus on female identifying and non-binary individuals who have been overlooked through early cinema history or just simply too cool for school. Too cool for school. <laughs> and we want to discuss their achievements. Yeah, a little bit about me. Um, I am a filmmaker who works for a creative agency by day and then writes directs is a filmmaker generally mm-hmm. and whatever else at night yeah i my name is tyra i am a content cre- uh, creator actress and writer which you can find me on youtube at productive imaginary mm-hmm. yeah we'll have links in like the profile information links in the profile information mm-hmm. i'll have links in a note section yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so we we met on one of tyra's projects mm-hmm. i was hired to edit and yeah. it was for Hand Me Down Blues. Yes, it was my first short. Yeah. Um, and just like a lot of women mm-hmm. in the industry, I wind up doing most <laughs> of the work. Yeah. Just because I couldn't, you know, especially living in New York, I, I do have to say, like, you once you live in a creative place, if you can't pay anyone, then no one wants to work. It's, mm-hmm. it's like no one's hungry for work. But at the same time... Um, you know, you wind up doing it because someone sees it's a woman on the project and they think it's a woman's project and mm-hmm. they don't want to work. Um, so, yeah, I by the time I got into you, I had gone through two male editors. Mm. <laughs> and uh, you were my third editor and you just happened to be female. But then at the same time, you just also happened to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. Yeah, now we are talking about Xena on Tyra's podcast. Yeah, um, it's well, it's switching around. It used to be called What the F Are You Doing Here? And that will come back yeah. as an interview show um, someday, sometime in the future. Um, we never know when and where. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, but we the Xena reviews are going to be under Been There, Seen That. Mm-hmm. And that'll be my little television um review section just going over stuff and then hopefully i'll start on video essays and think of a quirky punny name to put it under (laughs) one day yeah (laughs) (laughs) so on film buddies we'll discuss women throughout film history Mm -hmm. some of whom have been forgotten and this first episode we're going to talk about elise guy blachet which, like, sorry to anyone that speaks French and pronounce that properly, but that's the closest I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Dorothy Eisner. So we're going to tackle those for Women's History Month. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so Elise is, like, the first female director, at least in U.S. history. I can't mm-hmm. really find out, like, who is she first globally. Um, but she directed her first in 1896, like, this one-minute sketch which is has got to be it's like one of the oldest narrative shorts mm-hmm. but i think it comes a year after um what are the brothers names the lumiere brothers i think it comes a year after yeah them. my early early film history is is really shady i would i have to say like once we get the sound mm. a little better um back then i it i it's a time period i don't know much about but at the same time like i find it really really interesting as far as that's concerned because it seemed to be the wild wild west Mm -hmm. before any corporate you know like a lot of things but you know much like podcasting or even web series before any corporate entity 
gets mm-hmm. in and you can make money off of it. Um, you just have people doing so much stuff. Mm-hmm. So like it, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anyone before, but you, you yeah. know, as far as I know, it at is. least on records. Yeah. Right. Well, on the records. Cause you don't know who was, you know, like they said, someone had to cook the last supper. So like, <laughs> Yeah, so who was that? Someone, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. But clearly, like, women were there, mm-hmm. and especially if they're working with their husbands or their brothers or mm-hmm. uncles or anyone like that. Um, yeah, and then narrative film, is it's really crazy how film comes about where you just have people, once they know they could do this and they have access to the tools, mm-hmm. filming anything. Yeah. A train coming at the screen. Yeah. Two people. I know that that was like the most exciting thing for a lot of audiences. To the the fact that people got up and almost ran. And you're like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because now we're like, even with 3D movies, we don't do that. (laughs) No. At the most, you get a jump scare. And even then, sometimes I won't move. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) But I can't imagine, you know, that wonder and curiosity uh, which I feel like I was very much reminded of during mm-hmm. the research of this, yeah. of just the possibilities being yeah. endless. Knowing that, mm-hmm. like, it's not just, like, mm-hmm. staged theater, I guess, on camera, mm-hmm. which is what some people did, mm-hmm. but that you could go out and document real life, but also be like, yeah. hey, here's, like, this funny mm-hmm. five-minute idea I have, because yeah. I feel like a lot of her early work was almost sketch comedy yeah it is it's very whimsical um it's very funny mm-hmm. um i and i was always on the fence if i couldn't tell if that these were the times and this is how mm-hmm. it eventually you know peaked out because they're all doing that fast walk which right, i'm not right. sure if that was like you know just like in the 70s you have method you know <laughs> um or any type of acting where it becomes right this is how we act mm-hmm. um i couldn't tell if that was the way everyone did everything or like that was really you know her influence but mm-hmm. I, did, I i do like her sense of humor it mm-hmm. is the only way i could say it is like it's french <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know whimsical mm-hmm. you know um and it poignant there always seemed to be a point mm-hmm. she was trying to make yeah um but i did enjoy it i did enjoy yeah. going over it and i think it was really funny and the fact that everyone's into it it just seems you know i always envy people that can get a group of friends together and just like oh my god we have this new thing let's do it mm-hmm. you know let's put on a show and just because i haven't been able to do it but um, <laughs> But not yet, it, anyway. Not yet, yeah. anyway. But, you know, I have friends, like my friend Alex Beck can always seem to like, I'm going to put on a show. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, it mm-hmm. he literally has people in his living room paying to see a cabaret. And you're like, how is that possible? Yeah. Um, but she seems to be one of those people that was able to gather mm-hmm. other people around. And mm-hmm. I have this idea. Let's do it. Um, and was also able to convince like her boss at um, mm-hmm. Goldmont just to be like, hey, I have this idea. Mm-hmm. Can I do it? He was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, sure. Which surprised me. I expected it to be like, no, film costs a lot of money, and like mm-hmm. we need a really firm project, uh, like plan. But I think just because it was so experimental, it's mm-hmm. just like, I mean, hey, see what you can do, and we'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we'll check it out. Yeah, I think that was always like to think of the amount that's produced mm-hmm. at any point of time. Like, particularly this time, and I, I would even say until maybe the studio systems ended, like, it was, like, clockwork. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of material that's produced. Like, yeah. oh, I, 
It was mass somewhere. produced. Yeah, mass produced. Um, I forget how many she. It may be as much as seven hundred that right, she right. herself directed. Yeah. So you're talking about like a film a day, or like, not even. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the same of like going through film history. You're talking, you know, to think of the scripts, particularly. Right. Let's go all the way to the 1950s. Um, the scripts, because of the content of the dialogue. Mm-hmm was so thick and you're like this is a really thick script yeah. for you know not even a 90 minute movie but it's because they there's so much so dialogue fast too. and yeah. they talk so fast yeah. and it's so much dialogue um, but you know that time it was like yeah this is the work mm-hmm. let's do it <laughs> <laughs> um, a little bit of backstory is that sh- there were a lot of women in the industry mm-hmm. in the early days, like mm-hmm. up until probably the 1930s when we get to Dorothy Arzner. Mm-hmm. Um, so Elise wasn't like the only woman in film. It's just that we know her as the first director. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of women were editors and film was like an art, so to speak, mm-hmm. versus a business. So it was it was all right for women to work in, in an art, which is kind of upsetting. Is that they're like, until money comes in, until sure, comes you can in. work yeah. here. But uh, yeah, it's like that. And also, but they were also forming their own groups sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't wait until, you know, every time we think we know so much about film history, there's someone that comes along that's found another cachet of film from someplace else. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I know as far as, you know, African African Americans are concerned, like yeah. the work of Oscar Michaud mm-hmm. coming up, and he was the first black. He owned his own studio. That's cool. And the first one to do so, and the people around him, whether directors or actresses, because mm-hmm. there was nowhere else to work. And if right. you did work, I, I, you know, maybe it was called like a race movie or mm-hmm. something like that, which was just catered to. Uh, African Americans uh, for their theaters mm-hmm. and for their what was called on the Chitlin, Ch- Chitlin circuit so you could see it there but the actresses that came through I believe like someone I um, Lisa Thomas Anita Thomas Reynolds mm-hmm. who's coming up as and she was because she was so fair skinned, she also crossed over, but she only got to play like a maid in a Valentino movie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But she was like one of his lead actresses. Yeah. Uh, There's other actresses that, that they also, because that's another thing too. And that's where opportunity really gets to happen. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. It is like when things are so disparate and there's not a lot of money involved and you have to have people pitch in, you have a lot more opportunity for women to come in right. because you need that help. Mm-hmm. Um, the minute and you're like, you get, and we don't have to pay them much. We, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, at the same time, there is like no one, look, no one's getting paid. Right, right. That's true too. <laughs> so like uh, it's something I know is on my wish list to learn more about those actresses mm-hmm. because they paved the way for me. Mm-hmm. Um, also going through film history, like once you get into the studio system, like you see examples of it in um, movies like Sunset Boulevard mm-hmm. where there were just women um screenwriters yeah and there was pools of them because they had to churn out these scripts because Mm -hmm. of this machine or the typing pools so i feel like history we should expand you know it's cool to do the art but it's like yeah these women contributed Mm -hmm. not only in you know the typing pool and the secretarial pool Mm -hmm. 
Oh, but creatively creatively, too. Yeah. Who Mm -hmm. were just, you know, because we needed that help Mm -hmm. and they were the wives and girlfriends and lovers (laughs) and (laughs) sisters (laughs) and aunts of all these men. Yeah. Um, so we'll go a little bit more in depth on Elise and like her history. And Mm -hmm. then we'll talk about Dorothy and like the transition to Mm -hmm. sound on film. We're pretty much saying pre studio system. Like Mm -hmm. it's when the studio system starts, I think is where we get up to. Yeah. Studio system starts in about 1930s. You have, you have various small studios mm-hmm. but they're not as big and as conglomerate the yeah definitely not kind of powerhouses like, yeah no they're not <laughs> they don't really become powerhouses until like sound comes in and which is the 30s mm-hmm. and, and they start having deals as well with different um movie theaters that mm-hmm. have become conglomerates right. like lowe's mm-hmm. um yeah it's like that, a package deal yeah par- paramount mm-hmm. um that's when things and everything moves into Hollywood. So once it's not really into the 1930s that everything moves from the East Coast mm-hmm. on the new in New York because you have, you know, you can still go and see Astoria Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the last places you still have Sil- Silver Cups. Um, that is one of those early New York places and mm-hmm. some places out in Jersey. But for the most part, just because land was so cheap and they were trying yeah. to get people to move out there and you could shoot year round. Right, the weather's nicer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just moved east. And yeah. I forgot which is the first company to do it um, that becomes mm-hmm. like a studio, but it's, it's essentially... Yeah, east. I feel like... I know D.W. Griffith, Griffith mm-hmm. I think moved out west pretty early mm-hmm. so that he can make things year-round. Yeah, I think because he was doing westerns mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> it's like, we need to be able to be outside. Yeah, <laughs> and why not? If you're doing a western, why not? Go to the west. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we do that year-round. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Alice, Elise, I'm going to butcher it the whole time, mm-hmm. was born in 1873. She spent most of her childhood in France, um, but also, when I was researching, I was like, whoa, she spent time in Chile? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> because her her father had a bookstore there, so she had kind of like a an interesting childhood. Yeah, I was surprised. Most people don't get to move outside their village. And yeah, she and she's like <laughs> presumably on a ship for at, like a month probably yeah, to get yeah. there, which I was like, oh, wow, interesting. Yeah, I, I remember reading that too, and if, and for the life of me, I couldn't figure out why they would move from yeah. France to Chile. why would you open a bookstore mm-hmm. in Chile? Yeah. It's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then her father passed in 1891, so she found work as a stenographer typist to support her mother and herself, which is also like what was considered women's work, right? Was typing. Yeah. So it's interesting. Fingers were more nimble. <laughs> so I feel like that's funny. It's like, yeah. yeah, we'll let you work, but you're going to do mm-hmm. like what we consider professional women's work. So mm-hmm. it's not just sewing, it's typing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so since she's becoming a good stenographer and typist, she, she gets an opportunity to work for the Gaumont Film Company, mm-hmm. which is still in operation today. When I was looking them up, I couldn't believe that they were behind The Fifth Element which yeah. is a cult favorite. Yeah, it, 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 I was so excited to read that because then yeah. that means basically Luc Besson belongs to mm. them. And who is one of... 
it's like he's accidentally one of my favorite directors because a lot of times I didn't realize the movies that yeah. I like are directed by mm-hmm. one person. I feel really bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Luc Besson, once I realized that, is um, I was like, wow, he did like The Professional mm-hmm. and The Fifth Element and what is it, Valerian? No. I don't know the other. Yeah, the one that just came out. There's also one with Kevin Costner that's just... Wow. I guess it makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. he's a French director, so of course he'd be part of, like, a French film company, but I think it blew my mind that it was still in existence and wasn't, like, Mm -hmm. something that crashed in the 60s or something, that it's still going over 100 years later. (laughs) Yeah. They also did um, The Death of Stalin, which I saw in the theater a couple Mm -hmm. years ago, and... Like, I don't understand history at all, so it's probably mm-hmm. not, like, the best film for me to have seen. <laughs> but it was really funny and absurd. Yeah, it, it's, it, um, well, Europeans, well, they, they kind of invented it. They do the absurd <laughs> <laughs> really, really well. Like, there's, a, I, there is no way The Death of Stalin could have been written yeah. in the United States. Not that there isn't someone that has, doesn't have that sensibility right. just because there's several American actors in it or anyone who can... aren't really doing accents. No, they're not. Is, yeah. Why is Jeffrey Taylor not having a Russian <laughs> accent? But, <laughs> yeah. but I remember seeing that and being like, what is this? Cause yeah. it's done with all of the absolute seriousness of a drama. Right. But it's just completely it's so absurd. absurd. Yeah, yeah I, and it's based on true history, true I think. Right? Is it? Well, that's it's one of those things of like, yeah, I guess truth is stranger than fiction because yeah. like these events, even though they're done in the complete, it's done seriously, and hilarious. The dialogue is hilarious, <laughs> and so is the behavior. But at the same time, those bumbling things, the yeah. days, the moments after Stalin's death, or you know for the next two weeks those are real like mm-hmm. my, i was surprised to to find out how much those events actually happen mm-hmm. um there's a really great youtube channel i don't know if anybody wants to know but history buffs <laughs> um comes about once a month and he basically he compares a film to the reality he facts just, oh, okay just, that's it. cool so it was there are s- several moments which you know, he can be a little smug about it. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, there are several moments where he kind of points out, like, that would never happen. But mm. I think it works artistically. Yeah. Like, have, like the, believe the art. Like, the truth is already mm-hmm. so absurd that you may yeah. as well make little creative choices yeah. here and there to... Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that has to do with, like, certain certain people wouldn't refuse to do blah, blah, blah because mm. people are a lot more fearful. Right, right. So... <laughs> Which makes sense, but at the same time, it makes for great dramatic mm-hmm. tension yeah. not to have an opera singer want to sing again. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in reality, she would sing as many times as someone right. wanted her. To. Right, yeah. The more you can hear my voice, the better. Yeah. yeah. Um, so back to Elise, mm-hmm. I guess. So yes. she took some initiative way back in the 1890s and asked Gaumont, who was a real human who was alive then, mm-hmm. if she could make a short film for her friends because they were mostly doing documentary-style things and, like, um, they were behind that... I think it's maybe one to three minutes of people leaving the factory. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, it's real footage. It's real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he let her take a camera and film a little sketch. So that was her 1896 short titled The Cabbage Fairy. Mm-hmm. I think it's 60 seconds. Like, it's so short and yeah. it's... 
just a sketch of her like picking babies out of these massive cabbages. Yeah, I had thoughts about that one because like, like who gave her their babies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It wasn't so much as that. It was like, I, I didn't even think of that. Like, who gave her the babies? But she just puts them on the floor. Yeah. Um. <laughs> she just picks them up behind, like, some giant cabbage and, yeah, just, like, sets them down. Yeah, and we're watching it. I and mean, they look like newborns. They are. Like, <laughs> I was like, wow, standards back in the yeah, day. Yeah, I guess well, they're I mean, sturdy. Yeah. Well, back in the day, people were, were never as careful with children yeah. as we are now. Like, in, I think back at that time, you could go to Coney Island and see premature babies in incubators. Oh, wow. Because incubators were a new thing. Gotcha. And where were they were getting these babies? I don't know. Um, but like, you could pay a nickel to go see that. But I remember. Wow, a whole nickel. Yes. <laughs> well, that was expensive. That's $20. <laughs> yeah. It's um, a good show. Mm hmm. And which none of those kids got that money, but um, no, definitely not. I remember looking at it, and I immediately also because it was the Cabbage Fairy, mm-hmm. looking to see if uh, perhaps the Cabbage Catch doll was named after it. Apparently no. not, but then again, the official story—you never know. That's true. <laughs> Maybe they saw it and forgot they saw it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "It was a dream." Or I couldn't. It, it, you know, I was. I think I wanted to verify whether this was like a folk tale of mm. like where babies come yeah, from. Like, like maybe, a stork thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or is this with something in her mind? So like if it's a folk tale, it was like, oh yeah, the right. cabbage patch. Oh, this, mm-hmm. That's where babies right. come from. Right, the same folk tale. Yeah, or, you know, did someone happen to the creator of the cabbage patch? You know, where what is the chicken and the egg is what it was. Right, yeah. <laughs> Did you find out where if it was a... Well, according to the creator of the Cabbage Patch, which happens to be a man, he mm-hmm. was sewing these dolls for whatever reason. And, Interesting. And uh, that's how he came... And he was giving them away. I don't know what made And he him. was just so, like, yeah. so they come from a cabbage. Yeah. So Interesting. Yeah. But like I said, I, I have so many questions about that story. Like, why was he sewing dolls? Yeah. I'm not saying, especially on the show about gender... <laughs> why you know i'm not saying he can't you know be a doll so sewer but i just what so was his questions. motivation yeah yeah how did you get into that where, where did you think of the doll first was like, it supposed to be a business venture mm-hmm. yeah yeah so many questions dude like, <laughs> also i see i misspoke because the mm-hmm. factory workers leave in the factory that documentary was by the lumiere brothers not oh. different french yeah filmmaker but I mean, she could have had creative inspiration. Like mm. this is boring, and I think that's a lot of times that's we probably what happened. Yeah, yeah, which is like I I know I would be like, oh my god. She's like, it. yeah, it's cool and all to like see what we already see, mm-hmm. but let's use our imagination. Yeah, which is what she did. Like she mm-hmm. made a few more narrative shorts, mostly comedic, mm-hmm. and then when she met her husband in 1907, they moved to the United States and founded their own production company, the Solex Company, which. It's based in New York, New Jersey, mm-hmm. which is pretty dope because it's near us. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they made over 300 films in a four-year period. Most of them are probably less than 30 minutes because mm-hmm. they weren't really making a lot of long films then. But yeah. still, that seems like a lot of production. It's a huge amount of production. Yeah. Like It was just probably like an assembly line. And like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it pretty much yeah. was. Or, you know, it's it's... 
you think about it, it's the wherewithal of someone being able to make YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you have someone with a lot of time and they're pretty prolific with editing or whatever they need to do, they're mm-hmm. going to go through it. That's true. And then some people may only do 52 a year or mm-hmm. even less. Um, yeah, one a week. Yeah, one a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and even that's a lot for some of us. Like, yeah, like that's we, a huge amount. That's You could do one a week if you are someone living at home and you have money to yourself or mm-hmm. you are completely making your money off of YouTube yeah. or some, some type of way. If you're doing one or more a week, you have time on your hands or yeah. you have backing, mm-hmm. like, especially now. Right. Before. You don't have a full-time job. No. And then just like your weekend is crammed y- yeah. with this. Yeah. Because... I mean, I guess someone probably does that, but mm-hmm. Then they have no personal life. You you don't. And there's 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 so <laughs> like, many. Sorry. Yeah. To yeah. insult anyone out there. Well. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but looking on YouTube, I've seen so many content creators. After a while, they do that burn. I'm, I'm yeah. burnt out. Actually, video. at the end of 2019, and I think early 2020 on YouTube, I kept seeing, um, like, just content creators being like, "I have burnt out. I feel you can't like do- I've crashed." I'm like. Uh-huh. Why are they all crashing at the same time? Because they all started at the same time and they yeah, were doing I guess it. So. I mean, the minute you do one video, you're you're very much onto the next. You're essentially doing three videos at a time if you're doing it. Like prep, shoot, edit. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, and and depending on your schedule. So if you are putting, let's say, every three days, mm-hmm. which is the fastest turnaround usually for a YouTuber, um, if you're not just streaming on Twitch. Um, every three days is usually the turnaround, depending mm. on what you're doing. That means you are planning your, you're constantly videotaping yourself. That's a lot. But, I could not do that. No. And but then, I guess that's what they're doing back in the day. They're yeah. like, Hey, we, we got to mass produce. So we yeah. stay relevant, which is what YouTubers yeah. do now. Right. And thank God they are not having factory jobs. I guess that's why I'm not relevant. <laughs> Cause I, I don't have that commitment. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, and then you have to put all that on the social media. Yeah, you will yeah. burn yourself out. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, it's it's. And if you can't hire people to like mm-hmm. help alleviate that, yeah, yeah, you you're gonna are. burn out. Like mm-hmm. I, as I learned this year, like yeah. I had to take a break. Right. Or you, I'm waiting t- for my burnout. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to decide on what you have to do. It's, mm-hmm. but, yeah, what your focus is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also materially, um, whether what you're doing, whether you're doing something on your phone Mm -hmm. or, you know, just like these people that decide. um, But at the same time, unlike now where people are more aware that whatever you have up is a legacy. Right, right. Some people have found to their detriment a couple of years ago when old things pop up. Mm. um, The silver nitrate, I believe, inside the phone has deteriorated so yeah, a yeah. lot of times we don't have these early examples of film mm-hmm. in which to keep yeah people. right yeah. like a lot of alisa's films or like mm-hmm. the solar X company's films they don't mm-hmm. exist because yeah. yeah it was just like really caustic mm-hmm. um materials and kept in metal containers so yeah it's... and they didn't know like no one knew <laughs> no why would they you know they didn't know that what they were doing no there were very few people unless you were egomaniac mm-hmm. there were very few people who went around and were like this is my legacy this that's is true amazing. yeah you, you it's know. just like i guess a lot of them are more um entertainment focused mm-hmm. which is what we do now we're not really 
Like, let me make something that will withstand the test of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're getting better at that. I think mm-hmm. people, yeah, that film maybe might have been, you know, used or I don't think you can reuse film, but a lot of it was like, take it and then trash it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially yeah. for room. And then especially, well, unfortunately, once you get to World War One or World War Two, there's mm-hmm. just not room for it. There's not the material for it yeah. because it has to go into artillery. It has to go into like make, you know, unless you're doing propaganda films, <laughs> um, there's just not the material mm-hmm. for it. Um, so it, it becomes... And your really, labor mm-hmm. is probably being pulled yeah. Yeah. towards the war anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Which might have happened for Solax because... Mm-hmm. Um, World War One in the early 1920s, mm-hmm. the Blachets had to sell their company, mm-hmm. and they also got divorced. Which yeah, I remember reading somewhere. <laughs> I mean, they got divorced, but they seemed to like work, work together, together still, for mm-hmm. several years. And so. then she moved back to France mm-hmm. and like had no career ever again, which yeah. is really depressing. Yeah, I feel like it's sad, but I also feel like at the same time there was a lot going on. That's true. Yeah, in the world, <laughs> in Europe at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah, you're right. Like, I guess it would be hard to move to back to France, which is mm-hmm. a war-torn country, yeah. and then be like, "Hey, can I direct some things?" Yeah. Well, I, I I wonder too if she ever wanted to do it. Um, I think we're often surprised when we find out someone didn't want to direct mm. again or whatever. Yeah, maybe she was just maybe she was burnt out and was yeah. just done. Yeah. That or you know, she was about re- rebuilding France. It seemed yeah, like that where could she. Be. It was where her heart was. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were occupied by the Nazis. Uh, you know, England right. and France were hit very, very hard. And we often think of, like, the when we think of the 1950s, we think of the prosperity of America. The truth is Europe went through a very, which is how we get to the Cold War, you know, in the <laughs> Eastern Bloc. But, you know, Europe was very much decimated by mm-hmm. World War One uh, and Two. You know, I mean, they had to back to back right and so they were still living on rations and oh wow. everything yeah. into the 50s <laughs> i wonder if her book talks about it at all i didn't read mm-hmm. get a chance to read her book but i wonder if that talks about like her motivation to mm-hmm. move back because all the resources that i found were just like oh they divorced mm-hmm. and like while they're still on good terms she decided to move back to france and like mm-hmm. that seemed to be it for yeah the online data yeah. and like book it's data like, and we never saw her yeah but I, I do wonder if if the biography she wrote or autobiography she wrote mm-hmm. addresses that it probably would it, it's yeah. um, i mean i like i think of all maybe the i'll read it after yeah <laughs> i feel like every time i read like a woman of this time like it could be varying choices mm. as to why mm-hmm. like like i said i just read part of because she repeats herself a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I got tired of it. But, um, <laughs> uh, Anita Thompson Reynolds' yeah. biography. Okay. Where she was someone of mixed heritage mm-hmm. but identified as black and her adventures. So she, in a very short 10 period year time, she does everything from being an actress to being an artist model and a spy okay. and working for this mm-hmm. and working for that. And then after that 10 year period in the 50s, she just dips <laughs> and you're like um like you worked so hard for those 10 years what happened yeah, what happened and she was like and her reasoning was like yeah i just 
I just moved to the Virgin Islands and married this dude. It's, it's oh. fine. Yeah, that sounds like a nice <laughs> yeah. way to go about it. It's yeah. Like, I worked for 10 years. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. She was like a reporter during the Spanish War. Oh, you know, wow. You're like, you are just. She's all over the map. A boss ass bitch. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, no, nah, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes. Maybe. Yeah. So maybe Alice, Elise was just like, mm-hmm. yeah, that was good. Like, I'm going to move back home and just raise my kid and. Yeah. yeah. And Who enjoy she a little bit adore, of life. Her, yeah. her daughter. Um, that was very much, you know, um, her. It seems from the research. She yeah. Loved and adored her daughter and became the central focus of her life. And I think sometimes as women now we forget choices. Mm-hmm. And it very much could have been a choice on her part. But no. Yeah. This is the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out two of her short sketches because mm-hmm. they cracked me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of them is the glue, which I think it's five minutes, and and it's just like a kid is putting glue on yeah, stairs yeah. and bikes and everything, and the adults are getting stuck in it. And yeah, yeah, I was dying because it just felt like uh, almost like a Mad TV sketch or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just remember watching it and like, oh, this little boy. <laughs> yeah, and like adults in petticoats are getting caught up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, it's very nonsensical. And mm-hmm. then um, her other one, Consequences of Feminism, mm-hmm. kind of flips the gender dynamics that were prevalent in the day. So I thought mm-hmm. that was interesting where men are sewing and, like, ironing in it. And then yeah. the women are smoking cigars and talking with each other about mm-hmm. presumably business. Yeah, I remember watching it and being like, I don't know what side of the fence she falls on. Yeah. But I think that's a really good yeah. example of satire because like, i can view it as like oh she's being tongue-in-cheek but mm-hmm. like if i was from a different like political background mm-hmm. maybe i'd be like oh interesting this is actually yeah what's wrong with feminism you know yeah i don't know is what we hope or what we fear right yeah <laughs> I, was, I think that was exactly in my notes just now like i don't know if it's what we hope or what we fear yeah is gonna happen because the ladies you know some of the one or two of the ladies like i don't feel seems too happy with the situation like, mm-hmm. they always have some man crying i know I wouldn't. <laughs> you know, I yeah i don't you want anyone help. crying around me yeah but you're so crying um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah those are so funny i watched some of them at work and one of my coworkers came by and was like what are you watching mm-hmm. so i sent him the link and he's like all right that's pretty funny <laughs> like i don't think you understand how funny it is okay because <laughs> you're dude <laughs> Yeah. Um, She directed um, between 700 and 1,000 films, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. I saw some websites that said even over 1,000 films. Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa. Yeah, it it could definitely. I mean, we we assume, like like you said, we don't have much information what she did once she went back to France. Yeah. Um, But she could have worked on some more, Mm -hmm. you know, in spare time. Yeah, it could have just been more lost Mm -hmm. films. Yeah, like I said, there's always there's always a basement. There's always somewhere house, someplace that mm-hmm. we get a copy. Yeah, like, what is this? Um, which is a cool thing because now, like the Academy Awards is having their own museum. It's taking mm, a bit of time because they're trying to gather artifacts. Yeah. Um, but every once in a while, someone brings in a. Oh. <laughs> so sorry. Um. But yeah, so she directed between 700 and 1,000 films, but it seems like some sources said only up to 150 of her films have survived, but Mm -hmm. it seems like you can really only find, I think, like six 
or something on YouTube to watch. So I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how many have actually survived and like yeah. where they're living. If they're living digitally somewhere mm-hmm. or what the case is. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, some farmhouse in, <laughs> in maybe in New Jersey where her studio yeah, was like, located. Yeah, or New Jersey. That's true. I like your New Jersey. <laughs> um, but yeah, she in 2004, she was given a history marker where Solik Studio was located mm-hmm. in New Jersey. And in 2011, she was accepted into the DGA as a member. In 2013, inducted into New Jersey Hall of Fame. So mm-hmm. she is like getting accolades now. Yeah, There's that documentary that just came out about her, I think. Yeah. So I've, people are starting to become more... Um, educated i guess on Mm -hmm. on her career and her contributions to the industry definitely and it's you know history is written by the victors right so you don't have the studio system anymore Mm -hmm. you know pumping up their their own um way of being or even you know you know sons of people but now that history can be expensive and mm-hmm. you have different people like us yeah. who are saying look at this person this person inspired me mm-hmm. you you now have um people get, you know getting to know our history yeah and i think that's really really important and like i said as well it, like you you know sometimes in life particularly in america we just be forward fixed thinking mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a very american you know way of thinking like always in the future always in the future let's figure right. the past and we'll sweep it under mm-hmm. which is very bad um <laughs> but if you think about it now we have time to look at our history mm-hmm. and bring those people back mm-hmm. and it's like no what about this person and this mm-hmm. person and various different ways and different subjects as well there's like early jazz musicians that mm-hmm. have hit huge you know you know, influence on the way mm-hmm. things sound, and then yeah. they're only, but they were only. They used to be for, forgotten, but yeah. now they're becoming absolutely. Yeah. Or they were only active for a few years, and mm. it's when you have a brand new thing like jazz or film, mm-hmm. that's an incredibly important period of mm-hmm. time. Yeah, the the growth and experimentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, another person who we want to talk about today is Dorothy Arzner. Mm-hmm. So she also started in like a script-ish department. It wasn't necessarily stenography or typing, mm-hmm. but she started in the script department at, um, where was it at? What? What? Um, Columbia? No. I feel, she was with, I cannot remember. I feel remember. like that's Paramount if we're talking about her. Where no, she it's started. Columbia. I think Columbia was mm-hmm. the um, competition. Mm-hmm. But I don't know no, why. No, she started at Paramount because she yeah. had to come. No. I think Columbia was like, hey, well, now mm-hmm. that you have experience, we'll mm-hmm. hire you to direct. Um, but I don't know why that escaped my notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, so she worked in the script department and mm-hmm. then pretty quickly became an editor and worked with Rudolph Valentino and director James Cruz and like started building a name for herself as a good Um, writer and and assisting them with some direction as well Mm -hmm. and was able to reshoot a couple of scenes Mm -hmm. and then that's when she received a columbia offer to write and direct a film and she was like you know what i'm gonna use this to stay at paramount and be like hey columbia offered me this sweet deal Mm -hmm. if you don't match it and like give me what i want essentially don't if you don't let me direct a film then i'm (laughs) gonna bounce to columbia so paramount was like all right 
Yeah. You like, can direct this film for women yeah. called Fashions for Women in 1927. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always find like the pettiness and the politics of you yeah. know different companies competing for each other whether it's like even comic book creators mm-hmm. for marvel versus writing for dc yeah and they, after a while you just if you're a comic book creator <laughs> you probably work for them both at mm-hmm. any particular time depending on your deal mm-hmm. and the same with for the studio system mm-hmm. it's like and sometimes it worked and then sometimes you might end up you know mm-hmm. up, you know they play hard to get or you know as we look you know, or hardball, you know, right. a studio, the studio system could turn around, you know, turn on you really, mm-hmm. really quickly. But I kind of glad it worked in her favor. Yeah. As Yeah. It didn't backfire, yeah. which would have been my fear is like, what if, yeah, what if I try to use it as leverage and Paramount's like, we don't care. Yeah. And now <laughs> Columbia, because they d- just wanted to get at Paramount mm-hmm. and like, well, we don't care. <laughs> right. Right. Um, y- yeah. I mean, but studios were constantly doing that Mm -hmm. they were just buying out artists or Mm -hmm. you know anyone else just to dig at Mm -hmm. the other studio yeah they want like full ownership of a creative person so Mm -hmm. that they can use other ideas and potentially make big profits yeah and it still happens to Mm -hmm. you still unfortunately particularly in screenwriting you might have a company option Mm -hmm. your script just to keep it out of the 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 ether mm-hmm. or from anyone else to get it and they may nip, they probably just shelve it and never yeah. release it. I think that has got to be the most upsetting as a, like for someone who is a writer who's sold to sell a script and then watch it not get made. It's yeah. like okay. The, yeah. Why did you buy it? <laughs> like yeah, that has or to different be really upsetting. IPs. There it, I think that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely horrifying to have something that you created and you waited all the time and you think you hit the jackpot and yep. then all of a sudden that you, this thing you created, now no one will ever see. Yeah, they're like, here's 10K for us to put in mm-hmm. a library that no one has access to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and all the, all I could think of is like eventually at some point it's going to have to be with yourself. You're going to have to say, okay, um, how many zeros Mm -hmm. and what does this really mean to me and especially you know now we're back at the time of the wild wild west where you do get to create (laughs) and make choices yeah create and make choices Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if one of those choices make money or not make money yeah yeah (laughs) unfortunately yeah i think you have to choose your darlings you Mm -hmm. have to kill your darlings sometimes it's like if there but, will be more darlings. Yeah. Fingers but crossed. But it depends on that. Yeah. Fingers crossed. You have to, like, if this is your baby, do not sell it mm-hmm. for any amount of money. Yeah. If it's something that you know you can live with after a certain amount of zeros, then mm-hmm. I would do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really good advice. Mm-hmm. So um, Dorothy apparently was like, yeah, sure. I'll I'll take this check and direct this, like, women's film called Fashions for Women, mm-hmm. which was regarded as a commercial success um unfortunately it's lost so we can't watch it to Mm -hmm. judge for ourselves if it really is like just just a women's film or is it actually like for any audience you know yeah i i at the time i think they like you didn't have commercials i think anything that was on in the theater you Mm -hmm. were just excited about and it's still 1927 yeah Yeah. like there is no market crash as far as they were concerned (laughs) not yet it's fun (laughs) (laughs) that's true they had two years to go before things went bad it was like the oscar red carpet you're Mm -hmm. like oh this is great i can Mm -hmm. wear that yeah Yeah. 
yeah. Have you seen this? Like, <laughs> it's just an experience to go to the theater. Yeah, I mean, people yeah. would dress up. It was literally a night. You mm-hmm. would call, you would call out like a restaurant mm-hmm. have a reservation and then yeah. you would go I, mean, I guess it's like seeing theater now like yeah, we yeah. take movies more for granted but like if it's theater it's dinner and a show yeah we don't yeah. ever think of people i mean you were in a you could be in a tux mm-hmm. that theater. would be pretty cool <laughs> i'm gonna start dressing up for movies yeah <laughs> i kind of, I, I sometimes accidentally do okay. <laughs> you're like i have respect for movies yeah um it, yeah <laughs> i do <laughs> that oh God, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try it yeah that and sometimes let's be real like if it's like harry potter i've accidentally mm. landed with the fan group and not known nice because i decided to dress up yeah <laughs> you're part of the club yeah <laughs> but yeah i do, you can still see remnants of old theaters like if mm. you go to the Ziegfeld theater which is still up in the 50s oh um, wow that theater is still constructed like an old time that's theater. cool i like so that. so you could see why you might dress up mm-hmm. to be, i mean old when they're more grand and kind of glamorous yeah. in style yeah, yeah. Uh, right look- it's not just like a amc that looks like it belongs in the mall mm-hmm. yeah i mean these things were uh, theater palaces mm-hmm. they were called palaces. yeah that's true <laughs> and it, it, i dress up to go to a palace that's for sure yeah, <laughs> they were absolutely gorgeous yeah like, uh, the art deco inside mm-hmm. so i could see like if you went to a movie palace and you saw a film about you know what you should be wearing mm-hmm. because you have and or, if that's I, even what it was about like it's hard to know if mm-hmm. fashions women is actually about actual fashions for women or is it like about women that work in the fashion industry or like what I could see is the premise about, I, could, I could see about what to wear okay i mean like it like i said it, it was the 20s was kind of like the 80s in that respect that you were just we look at the consumerism now mm. but maybe even to the early 2000s mm-hmm. you just had endless amount of money it didn't seem like you were going to lose no okay. one seemed like they were going to be poor. So they weren't like, we have to be really strategic in what we're yeah. writing. It's just like, we want money from women. Yeah. Here's the film. Here's the thing. And them. you had this whole new class of women as well. You mm-hmm. have to remember, like, in World War One, um, and this is a fact I'm getting, like, the next episode, we'll talk about Lucy Worsley, but mm-hmm. she says this example of a a headmistress of a school mm-hmm. talking to a group of her students and saying that only about five of them mm. may ever get married mm-hmm. just because the male population was just decimated and then the ones that came back were either just broken mentally or physically or mentally. Mm. So you had this new class of women that were, you know, you have that in between where they're groomed to, you know, become a wife. Mm-hmm. And then you take that option away from them. And it's like, what do we Because post-World War One, Yeah, post-World yeah. War One, But, you know, now you have them as grown-ups and you have the adventure, you know, the adventure, invention of <laughs> the bachelorette. Ah. And that's a new whole new class of women. Gotcha. You have women, and normally they're living together, mm-hmm. and they're going out to party, yeah. and they're going out to dinner, mm-hmm. and even if they have to wear a fake wedding ring, you know, they are wearing <laughs> diaphragms, <laughs> you know, so yeah. you, you just have this whole new class of women. So I think we look at the title, Fashions for Women, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think that was a very feminist 
move in a way just because mm. you had this class of woman who can buy things for herself and live mm-hmm. life for herself for the first time on yeah. her terms for for the most part is different now you know it's about the same now yeah you know she had this little bit of time mm-hmm. yeah i mean i guess that makes sense because the other films that she directed were female centric they mm-hmm. had like female leads and they are considered as having like the female gaze versus the male gaze so mm-hmm. they definitely focus more on the women's perspective mm-hmm. and she seemed to be the only female director for the 1930s mm-hmm. so if there is this class of women women that want um something unique to them to see and there mm-hmm. is one person making content for them yeah she feels she's gonna cash in yeah yeah she definitely cashed in and like to see that as an opportunity right rather than like a toss-off like Mm -hmm. you can make this woman's film wait wait a minute how how come right like i want to make film for everybody but she's like all right all right she was like at least i have an opportunity (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i yeah it was i think she also saw a need like Mm -hmm. i said you had seen a woman for the first time Mm -hmm. you had a like whole apartment buildings just filled with women who Mm -hmm. were single and right ready to mingle ready to mingle looking for some fun yeah yeah Yeah. very different from their mothers as Mm -hmm. well you know who may have gotten gotten married at 16 right I mean, it moved up to 24, but, that was, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a huge gap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the films that she directed was called The Wild Party, which mm-hmm. could have been just exactly what you're talking about. It, it, it's women having a blast. Yeah. Um, but it was this film that credits Arzner with making like the boom microphone because mm-hmm. Clara Bow, the lead, was used to silent films, and mm-hmm. now we're transitioning to sound and this giant microphone is like giving her anxiety so yeah. dorothy's like we'll just string it on a pole and follow her around so that she can be more free mm-hmm. and and less terrified of like staring this microphone in the eyes well i think we forget how terrifying that is mm-hmm. like i hated the sound of my voice and sometimes i still do yeah when same. I hear it back mm-hmm. and then also the camera can be extremely intimidating mm-hmm. and then at the time moving into talking pictures that ended people's careers yeah because because they we heard to, their voices we heard their voices yeah. and they had very different voices mm-hmm. and so some of these actors you assumed all were all american wind up being russian and right right the american accent mm. uh clara bow herself was from brooklyn and she had a very deep <laughs> Brooklyn accent. Brooklyn accent. Yeah. Like Betty Boop. Oh wow. So she had to take elocution That's class. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh great. She had like a you know, her voice at the beginning. Gotcha. I could imagine if you had you you know, she grew up in Coney Island. Right. Man, to suddenly be like you assume because you've seen her in talkies that like she talks in some proper i guess mm-hmm. higher class yeah. accent and then to find out like oh no she just sounds like she's from brooklyn yeah has gotta, for audiences has got to be like wait that didn't fit my imagination at all no, so no. i don't like this and it, it destroys people's careers mm-hmm. um sometimes you see that in movies like um singing in a ring mm. um that is completely about the transition from silent to mm-hmm. talkies and that whole premise rests on the fact that the lead actress has a very high-pitched squeaky <laughs> voice and so you have debbie reynolds mm-hmm. dubbing for her sometimes studios if they felt like you um were a money maker mm-hmm. They would dub. They're like, we'll keep your image, but we're we're gonna we'll swap your you. voice we're for someone swap your voice. else's. Um, like, also, how insulting is that? 
Yeah, it had to be highly um, which we happens love, in singing. We love in the your ring. look, honey. Yeah, but uh, not which your happens voice. in singing in the ring. She's at first very embarrassed and refuses to be dumped until mm. they have a test screening and everyone laughs at her. And mm. then now she, yeah, I'm like, you know. gosh, your your um, self confidence would take such a blow. Yeah, absolutely. Also, uh, it's a Coen Brothers movie. I forgot that Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. Where the, the cowboy yeah, is about the Hollywood be, industry, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's trying to become like a serious actor, <laughs> and my favorite scene is where Ray finds mm. just like repeat after me. <laughs> he good. can't do it. Nope. Can't change his voice like that. Um, Dorothy's career after the 1930s started to really like decline, mm-hmm. and she only directed 16 films between 1927 and 19. 19- 43. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the only woman to join the Directors Guild of America, which was pretty cool, in mm-hmm. 1937. But then it's like six years later, she's not making movies anymore. So, eh. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I always feel like I wonder what happened because that happens yeah. with a lot of directors and actresses. Like, Hollywood is a co- cutthroat place. Yeah. And you find out, like, these brilliant people are only active for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Or, and then they're gone. And you never. And then they're off into the Vista. Right. <laughs> well, when I was researching, it was like, oh, and then she stopped having a directing career. But then the more you research, you're like, wait, she directed commercials and like mm-hmm. she directed training videos. Yeah. It's not as if she like fell off the planet, which is how some articles make it sound. It's just that like she was no longer working in Hollywood. Yeah, it she, could have just been politics. Yeah, and it also could have been like maybe she didn't like the stress of making these huge blockbusters. Maybe she was like, you know what, I want to do what I like mm-hmm. on a smaller scale. Yeah. But but we don't know because we don't have like her record of, mm-hmm. hey, this is what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, something I said was like, oh, she was sick, so that's why she quit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? But like, I there's no it. real data yeah. or nothing that really points to like the mysterious illness people claim she had. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Other than, oh, which was often pulled because she is a lesbian. Yeah. Even though she was That out, could be her mysterious of, illness. Yeah. They, right. If you have it coming up where like a lot of things like that were questioned and then you have the Hayes Code coming, mm-hmm. I could mm-hmm. see that That's destroy true. a career. Um, the Hayes Code was invented in the 30s, so I could see that. Mm-hmm. That affecting her. Yeah. I, I, corporations, man, and Hollywood is definitely cutthroat, so I could see mm-hmm. if, if, even if you're prolific and great, um, if it becomes a difference between them making money and you, they will, like, sacrifice you. Mm-hmm. That's so, true. Yeah. I mean, that directly at the same time and the thing about the Hayes Code it was created because I think there was a lot more call for purity in film or <laughs> and quote unquote purity quote unquote, yeah. yeah yeah which destroys it well it comes after like this huge court case mm-hmm. which has been re-examined in later years of the Me Too movement oh wow uh, and, I didn't know that they were re-examining it um well it's for it's about Betty Arbor, Ar- mm, Arbuckle, Arbuckle, yeah, who was a huge like comedic star mm-hmm. in the twenties and sometimes in the in the thirties. Um, the thing is, he was also like a party animal, so, right? Yeah, um, but he got into a situation <laughs> in which someone died at his party. Yeah, and like I do remember that story. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, we now know that he was behind it well no he was like not behind it 95% innocent (laughs) oh really yeah yeah. 
Oh, I thought so, he was for sure guilty. No, he was. Oh. He, yeah, he was he partying around and sleeping around. Yes, the I thing see. is that the person that spoke up and was the most damning of the evidence mm. was a person who wasn't even there and oh, that's wanted right. to be, you, you know, an actress. Yeah. It was her friend that died. I see. So, like, if for those people who don't know, Patty Arbuckle was accused of raping and killing mm-hmm. an actress at a party. Um, the thing is. The only, so, so the primary witness, it's more hearsay. Than, had more hearsay. Yeah. And had a lot more to do of, I want to be famous, and mm. if someone's paying me to say this, then why not? And, gotcha. the, and then also, it was easier to get rid of Fatty Arbuckle than at the time. So that brought... It's, <laughs> right. It, yeah. yeah, you're just like, we're just going to pretend the, this person doesn't exist anymore yeah, and they move basically, on. Yeah. Let, they sacrificed him to the crowd. Mm. You, you know, And that's a sad thing, which is why it's been brought up again as people... Who, who have been falsely accused and women who have used an opportunity in mm-hmm. a situation that is very important and very dire mm-hmm. use this situation I to see. That's why the Hayes Code is coming back. Yeah, or so, a discussion on yeah, it. So there was a discussion about bringing in not only a moral code into movies, mm-hmm. but then also in the behavior of not only the actors, everyone involved in the system. I so, mean, that would be nice if like those with power had to yeah. adhere to a moral code. Yeah, that, that would be nice. The thing yeah. with the thing that happened is like the, those in power had a meeting and created the Hayes Code mm-hmm. and created like, we will police ourselves so no one else can be policed. Yeah. And it creates a very interesting thing in the 30s and 40s where you have a lot of these films that are, you know, what's called um, sin and celebration movies, I believe, Mm. where if you show the sin, Mm -hmm. then later on we can do, like Cecil B. DeMille Mm -hmm. is really good for this. A lot of his movies, there would be a lot of sin in at the beginning. (laughs) via like a biblical and they were hiding right. under a biblical movie mm-hmm. like, like this is the sin mm-hmm. and then redemption would happen because right. jesus would come back or something or, or they show like punishment for punishment their for, for their crime or yeah. whatever and so yeah, that was a way of, yeah and mm-hmm. that was a way of getting it around the haze code so there was a lot of ways around <laughs> it the thing is it also police behavior a lot and you have mm-hmm. a lot of like clean now yeah hollywood cleaners and whatnot and mm-hmm. people who would you could do your thing, just don't do it publicly. Right. Don't get caught. So I can imagine getting back to Dorothy right. if it's known that she's a lesbian and, and you she have... worked with her partner too on films yeah, too. Absolutely. So they were not Which, shy about yeah. their relationship. And yeah. once upon a time that would have been good. Mm-hmm. But the the fact is is like, look, do not mess with our money. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I can only guess that it was she was part of the is politics i can see that where they're like it's a mysterious illness but it's really the industry being like hey you can't be yourself anymore because we have determined that it's bad yeah and 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 homosexuality was labeled as a mental illness Mm -hmm. until 1970s so like yeah (laughs) yeah in the 1940s you definitely see that that would be the case yeah. yeah um one thing we're not going to touch on because we're running out of time mm. is her film from 1940 called Dance Girl Dance, which mm. is pretty, it's mostly feminist, but there are some seeds of like mm-hmm. typical tropes of like women fighting over men. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can find it online. I did. I think you can also rent it on like Amazon Prime. I think so too. Yeah, um, yeah but it has like Lucille Ball and mm-hmm. Maureen, o- or Maureen O'Hara, Maureen yes. O'Dowd. Maria O'Hara. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And Louis Hayward. It was 
It's good. Mm-hmm. It's definitely kind of artsy, mm-hmm. but also kind of typical to the era. So definitely recommend that. Um, but so this first episode, I guess, is just to show how like history has a tendency to to remember men, yeah. especially film early film history, because mm-hmm. how can there only be one woman during the 1930s and not a lot of us know about her? Yes. Without studying film history, mm-hmm. um, I think that's kind of crazy. And that Elise Guibouchet. When I was in film school, I heard nothing. nothing. Yeah. Not a peep. I heard about like D.W. Griffith all the time and the Melier and Lumiere brothers and mm-hmm. um, a whole lot of men throughout over 100 years of the history. Mm-hmm. But it's really like having to do our own research for us to learn about notable women throughout the, the early years, at least. Yeah. People can also listen to the podcast. You must remember this. That's mm-hmm. where I heard about the Freddie Arbuckle story. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, I never knew about this before. Yeah. Um, and then you can stay tuned for more Film Betty's episodes. Yes, awesome. Yeah. Also, I want to give a shout out to another YouTube channel called Be Kind Rewind, mm-hmm. which I think has it, it's all about the Best Actress category at the Oscars, and she is awesome. Nice. Another lady. more women in film yes all right film youtube and all everything in between yeah and again we'll have like notes and links and more stuff i guess for the both of us if they want to follow us on other platforms absolutely or just use google yeah google google works let's put the yes put the study skills into work by using (laughs) us to study other women yeah (laughs) all right thank you and goodbye bye